The search for authenticity and the way we think of it as being the singular thing is similar to the search for meaning. It, they aren't singular things. They're things that change over time. This is Parsing Science, the unpublished stories behind the world's most compelling science as told by the researchers themselves. I'm Ryan Watkins. And I'm Doug Lay. Going against our natural inclinations can lead us to feel like imposters. And this can happen with our professional identities as well. While some people counter this challenge by seeking out a different job, others find fulfillment by taking on another one. Brianna Caza from the University of Manitoba, Sherry Moss from Wake Forest, and Heather Vo of the University of Cincinnati joined us to discuss their research into the process of how people who work multiple jobs at the same time find authenticity through their work. This episode is sponsored by We Share Science. When researchers are curious about what is happening in science, they go to We Share Science to explore video abstracts uploaded by other researchers. You can search their vast catalog of video abstracts to learn about the latest scientific findings, or you can share your research with the world. Whether your research is in progress or already published, at We Share Science, you can share your science and grow your impact. Explore the world's research at WeShareScience.org. Now, back to Parsing Science. Brianna, Sherry, and Heather joined Ryan and I to discuss the research, but because of technical difficulties on our end, only Sherry's recording was consistently clear enough for the episode. But you can still listen in to excerpts from our conversation with Brianna and Heather as well on our website, parsingscience.org. With that, here's Sherry Moss. Hi, my name is Sherry Moss. Um, I'm a professor of organizational behavior at Wake Forest. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I attended Florida State University. I'm a big Seminole fan. Uh, I also did my graduate work at Florida State and began my career at Florida International University, um, which is in Miami. And after being in Miami for 15 years, I moved to Wake Forest here in North Carolina. Sometimes where the idea for a research project begins and where it ends up aren't necessarily one and the same, as was the case with this study. Doug and I began our conversation by talking with Sherry about how the idea for their project came about and where they took it from there. The project originally started as a wild hair. Um, I had become a full professor and I decided to go off and do something that I'd never done and to study a topic that I'd never studied or read much about. And that was meaningful work. And I decided to go about it by reading books that contained interviews of people talking about their work and to see if I could figure out what exactly made their work meaningful. So I started out by reading the book called Working by Studs Terkel, which was written in the 70s. Kind of has a negative view of work. Many of the interviews are kind of dark. A lot of them um, are in industrial settings and people talking about racial issues and you know, terrible working conditions and so forth. And as I was reading those interviews and trying to determine what the sources of meaning were, uh, Brianna was visiting at Wake Forest University. And I don't know how she got uh, wind of this unusual activity that I had engaged in, but she did. And she came and talked to me about it. And she turned me on to another book called Gig, which is a similar book of interviews about people working. And I read that as well. And again, was coding those interviews for sources of meaning. I called it sources of meaning. What, what are the reasons why people find meaning in their work, if they do? 
So Brianna and I had banged our head against this project for about five years, four or five years by the time um, we asked Heather to come in and help us and give us a different perspective or help us move it beyond where we were because we were a little bit stuck. And we decided that we would begin interviewing real humans to see if we could find any additional sources or confirm those sources that we had identified. From this idea, Brianna, Sherry, and Heather decided to carry out a qualitative study of the meaning people find in their work. But as they began to recruit people for their interviews, they happened upon plural careerists, people who identify with multiple jobs as being important parts of their lives, as Sherry describes next. We didn't know we were looking for multiple job holders, so we started out interviewing people that just had normal jobs, and it started out with contacts and people that we knew. And after interviewing several people, one or two showed up as having multiple jobs, and that was not what we were after. We really didn't know what we had gotten into. And so as I understand, like most qualitative research, and by the way, this is my very first venture into qualitative research. And again, I didn't know what I was doing. We would identify somebody and then ask them if they knew other multiple job holders. And generally they did. Um, We would also ask people we knew if they knew any multiple job holders. And they generally did. And so it went on like that. And that became the focus of our study rather than looking for meaningful work. Even though meaningful work was part of their need to have multiple jobs, Career pluralists don't necessarily hold down multiple jobs at the same time in order to make a living, but do so because they find the diversity of work rewarding to their larger sense of identity. Doug and I wanted to know more about what makes people like this tick. Well, let's talk about uh, people that that are contrast to the ones that we have written about in this particular study, because at one point, the reviewers wanted us to compare and contrast plural careerist with moonlighters and moonlighters they have a job that they make that they use to make a living they may or may not be identified with it and then they're pursuing something else um, that they, they really are passionate about so they may make most of their money from the thing that they don't identify with or the thing that they don't enjoy um, but that's different from the plural careerist here because the people in this study wanted to continue doing exactly what they were doing and did not intend to go down to just one job like moonlighters do. And we do think that there is a difference between them and moonlighters. Um, In fact, we're in the process of designing a follow-up study, which builds on our qualitative findings and attempts to uh, more clearly show the differences, especially in outcomes like well-being uh, for those who are traditional moonlighters and and having multiple jobs for instrumental reasons versus those like our plural careerists who are doing it um, for meaning and authenticity. And so I think the search for authenticity and, and the way we think of it as being the singular thing is similar to the search for meaning. It, they aren't singular things. They're things that change over time. And what is meaningful to me in my work today Uh, maybe something completely different tomorrow or next week or next year as I evolve as a human and as my identities change over time. So sources of meaning like authenticity and identities change over time. 
48 people with multiple careers participated in Brianna, Sherry, and Heather's study. Ryan and I were interested in learning what kind of characteristics are shared among people who choose to take on additional jobs beyond those that pay their bills. For some, some reason, um, the, the very academic journal Administrative Science Quarterly did not like the term scrappy. And <clears throat> if you look up scrappy in the dictionary, it has several definitions. One is the more negative, like a pugilist or a fighter. But the other is consisting of scraps or feisty. And we, we thought of it sort of like a, a patchwork quilt consisting of scraps, somebody that has a patchwork kind of career. And we also found these people to be pretty feisty and different. They, they knew they were different from other people and they were tenacious and they kind of had to stick with it for a period of time, even against the social odds of people wondering why they couldn't make a decision. So they, they embodied those characteristics. And, and just, you will not believe this, but just this morning, one of our participants texted me and said, Sherry, and she sent me a picture. And there was a picture of a sign that said breakout session. And she is leading a session called What It Is Like to Be a Scrappy Worker. And this is at a basically a career fair uh, for aspiring entrepreneurs in Mecklenburg County, which is Charlotte, North Carolina. And she's speaking to a group of high school students about her scrappy career. So on my computer, anything that pertains to this project is still under the label scrappy. I refuse to give it up. <laughs> Doug and I wondered whether career pluralists are born or made. So we asked whether people in this study started out pursuing multiple jobs or if the idea to do so came to them over time. I'm going to say that most of them felt like they couldn't choose from the beginning. Some of them did choose a, a single career from the beginning and found it to be very difficult to maintain just that one career. And many of them said that from the time that they were young, they could not see themselves doing just one thing. They felt like they had multiple passions and early counselors at school and home tried to press them into choosing just one thing and they found that difficult. And when they did do just one thing, they were not happy. And they had no intentions of not being a multiple job holder. They, they weren't trying to work down to just one. They were intending to hold them all um, or at least hold multiple jobs over time. So it's a lot easier to be um, one of these types of people that participates in the gig economy because of the many different platforms that make it easy to pursue a passion on the side in addition to what a lot of people have as a regular job. So, you know, doing Airbnb or eBay or Uber or something else like that, um, these platforms make it a lot easier to monetize your hobbies or monetize your other passions while still holding other jobs. In qualitative studies, a researcher is both the data collection instrument as well as the interpreter of the data they obtain, which can introduce undesired bias into the study. One way of addressing this is through member checking, in which a researcher runs their findings by participants to determine the accuracy of their conclusions, a technique which Sherry discusses with us next. Well, Brianna and I each had multiple informants that we had originally interviewed and that we kind of got to know pretty well over the course of this study. And so for those that were interviewed the most, they were in it from the beginning. 
um, from, from the very beginning. And as we would go through iterations back and forth between the literature and the data and um, new informants and what we were finding, we would go back to them and say, this is how we're interpreting this now. Does this sound right to you? And we would have frequent informal conversations with them as well as formal interviews with them or follow-up questions with them to check to see if the way we were thinking about things resonated with them. And they were very, very helpful, especially a handful of them um, that each of us handled over and over um, and letting us know whether we were on track and what we were thinking sounded right. Like the one that I heard from this morning was one of those that I stayed in contact with quite a bit. Doug and I were curious to hear how Brianna, Sherry, and Heather, who are located hundreds of miles from each other, went about collaborating on the writing of their manuscript. Sherry talked with us about how the team coordinated with one another throughout that process. Well, uh, one period of time comes to mind, and I think at this point we were more in the writing stage. And Brianna was in Australia, and I was in North Carolina, and our time difference was about 12 hours. And that served us very well for a period of time because she would write all day or check work all day and then email it to me and I would wake up in the morning and it would be there and I would work all day on it and email it back to her. Um, And so we were, when we were half a world apart, we actually uh, moved along very quickly for a long period of time because of that difference in schedule. As far as going through the data originally, Every time we would do a handful of interviews, each of us, we'd we'd share them with each other, come back, read each other's transcripts of the interviews, and try to understand what was going on. And we would often become very excited when a new theme would start to emerge, um, and we would, you know, code that and then begin looking in the other interviews to see if those themes were emerging as well. And it was just an iterative process over time. And the more we evaluated the data and the more we collected and the more we went back to informants over time, the more we realized that things changed for people the longer they were in multiple roles. And that's when we started to see that they were, as far as authentication, that they were first authenticating roles, specific jobs, one at a time. And then later, as they became more mature, plural careerists, they began authenticating their whole self, their whole work self under a theme. And that's where we were able to tell more of a longitudinal story about the data. While researchers may breathe a sigh of relief when their study is finally ready for submission for publication in a journal, it can also be bittersweet for some. While on one hand it represents the opportunity for a researcher to share their work with the larger public, on the other it can serve as a reminder that a project that's been near and dear for months, or even years, has come to a close, as Sherry discusses with us next. Administrative Science Quarterly was not the first journal we submitted to. I won't mention what the other one was, but we also submitted and and had two rounds with another journal and were ultimately rejected, but I remember being so much into the data that when we submitted the paper for the first time, which was in September of some year, several years ago, I was depressed for about a month because I missed my people. 
I really and truly missed the participants and digging in their stories and reading them over and over and finding the best quotes and just really immersing myself in it. I, I've never been so immersed in data, and, and that to me was the joy of the project. Plural careerists can struggle with being recognized and understood by others, which can affect their sense of authenticity. As Sherry describes next, this led some of the study's participants to distance themselves from people who question their commitment and legitimacy. This was the thing that was most one of the most profound things about these people to me is that they had a hard time talking to other people about what they did, especially early on. And so many of them had struggled socially with how to describe them, themselves in terms of their career because most people didn't understand what they were doing. And so one of the things that they would do is detach from others. And the way they detached is when somebody asked them what they did for a living, they would just mention one of their roles or, you know, just kind of not not tell the whole truth or just tell a shorthand version of what they were actually doing rather than the whole bit because they didn't want to have to get into it. They didn't want to have to explain it. They didn't want the scrutiny that they sometimes felt people gave them for being somebody who had career indecision and just couldn't decide. You know, they, they thought people um, judged them harshly for having all these jobs because after all, they're a, you know, a jack of all trades and master of none. And that was kind of the common attitude. And so they would push people away in the sense of not giving them the full story when they had to say what they were, what they did for a living. So for us to ask them about it with interest and not with scorn or lack of understanding was extremely refreshing to them. And the fact that we were doing a study and finding other people like them made them say things like, we're so happy there's a name for this or that we found our people. And it was great to be able to give them that gift. They were giving us a gift of data, but we gave them a gift in a sense of legitimizing their style of work. Another finding from the study was that after they found authenticity within their individual jobs, plural careerists were able to develop a sense of coherence and continuity among them, as Sherry describes next. One of the things that I think is notable is that it seemed that many of these people had jobs that on the surface were very different from each other. And so it seemed like they were people that just had very varied interests and passions and that they were pursuing this set of disparate jobs. And later we realized that the longer that they stayed in this career of multiple jobs, the more likely it was that they would find some kind of coherent theme to describe what on the surface appears to be a disparate set of jobs. And it wouldn't necessarily be an obvious label that would be the umbrella label for this set of jobs, but they would find one. And so we had people that would say, my job is to help women, but that wouldn't be what the set of jobs looks like on the outside. Or they would say, the theme that ties these all together is writing or communication. So it wasn't always obvious. In some cases it was, but for the most part it wasn't. But it seemed to be that that was a time that after they had authenticated each individual role separately, there was kind of a need to feel more coherent. And that was a term that, that I think Brianna brought to us 
just this feeling of coherence. And that's when they started to see that all of these different jobs complemented one another and that something that they learned in one could be transferred to the other. And it was also nice to move between the jobs because, you know, you come to a a challenging spot in one job and instead of just banging your head against it, you go do another job for a little while. And in the back of your head, that idea is floating and, and it resolves itself while you're, you know, engaging in something else. And that's when we started using these labels, synchronizing and harmonizing. First, synchronizing and trying to figure out how do I, how can I be authentic in each one of these roles separately? And then harmonizing is how do these all work together and what do they mean as a group? And I think that's what we saw the longer we stayed in this and the more we re-interviewed people and the more we added people to the study that were in earlier or later phases of multiple job holding. It would seem that if there's anyone who we hope and maybe expect to understand us, it's our romantic partner. So Doug and I asked Sherry to talk with us about the extent to which the study's participants felt understood and supported by their romantic partners. We, we had a couple who commented on the role of their romantic partners over the course of time. One of them would say that her husband wished she would just narrow down her activities to one and just choose something so that she wasn't running around all the time. I know Brianna was close to another uh, informant who talked about how her multiple identities uh, might have contributed to a breakup. And so I think that one of the things is it can be very hard on the romantic partner to be in a relationship with a multiple job holder because there are different things at different times. And I can imagine that if it's difficult for the plural careerist to say what she does for a living, it's probably equally difficult for the romantic partner to be able to do so as well. Lastly, Ryan and I were curious if anyone on the research team considered themselves to be career pluralists. Sherry offers her perspective on the question. Like you guys know, as uh, people in academia generally have three roles, researcher, teacher, and, you know, service provider. Uh, So we think some of our findings extend to people that play multiple roles within a single job. But I will admit to being a frustrated multiple job holder. I, I do not actually hold multiple jobs, but there are many other jobs that I would like to hold. I would like to be a house flipper. (laughs) and I think I'd be a good salesperson, and I haven't tried any of these things, but I have ideas for businesses all the time. A lot of them are around real estate, so maybe one day I will become a multiple job holder like our participants, but I can say as a full professor, I still wonder why people let me do this job, (laughs) And, um, and I think part of that may be because I've been around a little longer um, than my co-authors, and I'm I'm smart enough to work with smart people who are younger and have more energy. But I have reinvented myself many different times in the course of my profession, going back and forth between different administrative roles and back into the classroom and more research, less research, you know, different universities. And it's wonderful to be able to um, have the flexibility and autonomy to reinvent yourself. And I I see that as a parallel to what our uh, plural careerists did uh, and do, and that is that they have a dynamic career and their identities change over time, their authenticity changes over time. And 
I guess I can see anybody being able to experience that if they have any kind of discretion or leeway in the way they craft their career. So that's how I identify with our participants. That was Sherry Moss discussing the article From Synchronizing to Harmonizing, The Process of Authenticating Multiple Work Identities, which she published with Brianna Caza and Heather Vo in the September 2017 issue of the journal Administrative Science Quarterly. You'll find a link to their paper on parsingscience.org, along with bonus content and other material that she discussed during the episode. Next time on Parsing Science, we'll celebrate LGBT STEM Day, the first international day of LGBT people in science, technology, engineering, and math. Bryce Hughes will join us from Montana State University to discuss his research into the factors that affect the retention of sexual minority students in undergraduate STEM programs. I remember at some point reading through some qualitative data, some quotes from students about their experiences in STEM, and all of a sudden just being struck with, was this what happened to me when I was in my engineering program? We hope that you will join us again.